Jane Birkin once said, When you start recognizing that you're having fun, life can be delightful. This is Save vs. Rent. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about the eight flavors of fun. So what are the eight flavors of fun other than alliteratively wonderful? Well, when we talk about fun, a lot of times we're just talking about this nebulous concept, like I'm having fun or I'm not having fun. What is it that makes up fun? Today we want to talk about some of the theory behind what and why things are fun, what kind of things are fun, and what elements make things fun. And it's interesting because it can actually be broken down fairly scientifically. So Mark LeBlanc from Northwestern University actually came up with this theory. And if you ever get a chance to attend one of his lectures, I highly recommend that you do so. He is an expert on the subject. So now John and I, who are complete amateurs at this, are going to try and break it down and fit it into a 30-minute discussion. Let's get it started. Number one, sensation. Game as sense pleasure. Now, when we talk about sense pleasure, we're talking about our five senses. We all have some ability to sense the world around us. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to a podcast or watching things on your phone or computer. Ultimately, we have this connection to the world, and we see some things as being aesthetically pleasing. Some things are fun to touch. Some things are fun to see. Some things are fun to hear. Some things are just fun to kind of experience. The point being that the relation between us and the artistic elements of things is what we're talking about when we talk about sensation. So there are a number of board games that really capitalize on indulging your senses. Cash and Guns, very specifically, has those wonderful foam guns that you have to point at one another that put you into the middle of this game. You hold them with a certain amount of authority, pointing them, going, Don't make me do it, man. Don't make me do it. Yeah, ultimately, it gives you that connection, the the feelies that give you that connection to the game, these big foam guns. This also applies with things like the art for games. Uh, Some games have excellent miniatures and components that come with them that are aesthetically pleasing and give you a great way to visualize the game. Some games even have auditory elements to them, be it the actual noise that the pieces make when they're moved on the board, which might be a satisfying click, or the actual elements of sound incorporated into the games. On the other hand, when it comes to role-playing games, we're trying to indulge our senses in other ways. I often like to play music when it's appropriate for the players. Currently, I'm running a changeling game with John, wherein the neighbors will often play psychedelic hippie rock music, and the players have to listen to that. Also, every Halloween, I run a deadly dungeon, and I like to have parts in it where the puzzles are pieces that I get to hand to the players. You can be very elaborate with these, actually. Um, I think it was uh, last year we had that puzzle box that was basically the puzzle box from Hellraiser. We had to physically put together and move into the proper position to summon a demon that we then battled. This year, he had a number of discs that you stacked up into certain configurations in order to show symbols on them that would allow us to move these cubes between these different dioceses and... These were all tactile elements that we got to fidget and play 
play with while we were playing this game. And it gave us a real element of immersion and this experience that with these feelies and these things that we could look at in the game. It was a really cool experience. And that's something that anyone can incorporate into an RPG, be it by actually creating an elaborate puzzle or something as simple as having a note that you can give to the player characters that looks like a war-torn thing that was pulled out of a messenger's boot. Anything that adds a aesthetic element to the game is what we're talking about when we talk about sensation. So, number two, fantasy. Having the game as make-believe. I think that this is pretty self-explanatory for anyone who likes games, but we'll delve into this a bit more. This is to take the players to another world, to let them experience an, an amount of escapism. When we are talking about lore recently, we were talking about that element of escapism, and the fantasy is that element, and the way we experience that through games. One awesome example of this is the game Mysterium, in which you are investigators trying to learn about a murder that took place by communicating with the spirit. The spirit can't communicate with words, so he can only show you pictures and tell you whether your deductions are correct or incorrect. This creates an interesting immersive element that brings you into the world of this game. You find yourself playing as though you are this investigator and getting to experience that sort of element where you don't have the full ability to communicate as you freely would. It gives you that immersive element, that fantasy where you're playing a game that brings you out of this world into another. On the role-playing side of it, any well-established role-playing world does this perfectly. Uh, we were going to actually mention Pathfinder in their Galarian world. Now, Galarian has an amazing degree of immersive nature to it. It has a big world that fits together in an organic way and is compelling. It brings you into the setting and allows you to experience this other world with all of these different cultures and ideas and religions and faiths and all of these elements that fit together in a way that's believable and immersive. And they, they do it by many great ways. Uh, one of my favorite ones is the goblins on Galarian specifically chant and sing these cutesy little death rhymes that make everyone just remember them. Another game that had that sort of fantasy immersion was the World of Darkness. Whether we're talking about the old World of Darkness or the new World of Darkness, we get a compelling world that makes us feel like we are in another setting, that we are somewhere else and apart. It has all these familiar elements that allow us to connect to it, but at the same time, it has a number of unfamiliar, strange alien elements that give us this fantastic immersion in it and brings us to another place. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about fantasy, which is another one of the types of fun. The third type of fun is narrative. It's using the game as drama. It's using the game as a means to tell a story or narrative to the player or players. I believe that Pandemic Legacy is actually one of the best board games for this. Each game that you play gives you a little bit more of the story about what's going on, about, about, what's going on, about why there's this outbreak happening, why things keep going on. Any Legacy game really gives you the story that keeps bringing you back for more. Even Seafall, part of the reason that we kept coming back for more is we wanted to know what was going on, why there were all these dreams happening? What is making all of us want to find this island at the end of the world? 
you get that sort of immersive narrative, and that is one way that you can enjoy a game. Now, in RPGs, it's pretty obvious how you want to make this an element of your games. With a compelling narrative, a game can have a story that has a distinctive beginning and even a distinctive end, if not a nebulous one, with a flowing narrative that the players can follow and enjoy. Chronicles of Darkness does this very well, and it's one of the more narrative-heavy settings meant to give you that element of player interaction with the world with an unfolding story that we are able to tell, which is why they emphasize it by saying that the person who runs the game isn't a game master or a dungeon master, but they're a storyteller here to bring everyone into this narrative story. So that's one of the ways that games can be fun. Number four, games as challenge. It's the game as an obstacle course. It's a game that provides players with competitive value or increasingly difficult challenges. Um, Ghost Story. Ghost Story is one of the hardest games ever made. Oh my gosh. And yet... Every time I have a game night with one of my friends, we always break out Ghost Story. Why? Because we want to give it another go. We want to bang our heads against this one more time. Maybe this is going to be the time we beat it. And we get so close so many times, but it's always again and again, we just keep at it. Ghost Story has that in spades. It's a great example of a game as challenge where the primary element is you versus this unforgiving game that gives you that chance to really butt your head against an obstacle. When we talk about games that also provide a challenge between players, we're usually talking about some of the classic games like chess, where two players can come up with an alarming, enormous number of strategies that all approach the game from different angles, and you get this opportunity to master the game and really learn about the different ways of bringing that challenge to your opponent. When we talk about challenge in RPGs, it's actually best exemplified in Dungeons & Dragons. In it, all of the monsters have a challenge rating that let the players of different levels get challenged without being overwhelmed. It gives you a good gauge of where exactly these monsters fall on the spectrum of easy to difficult, and it allows you to properly tailor challenges. Now, with your RPGs, one of the big things you need to be aware of is where your group has strengths and weaknesses, and being able to apply those in such a way that you continually challenge them without completely overwhelming them. There's always a sweet spot for challenge, and that's what Dungeons & Dragons really focuses on, is trying to keep the players in that sweet spot for challenge, because that is a lot of fun. Quick little aside here, John. I want to talk about riddles in role-playing games. Riddles have a weird spot when it comes to challenge, because sometimes people have heard them before and there's no challenge in it at all. Other times, a group will sit there for minutes on end going, uh, what is this? I don't know the answer. They are kind of a bizarre outlier in that, in that some riddles will be exceptionally easy to some players, and some riddles will be alarmingly and confusingly difficult to others. Now, you can circumvent that with a simple dice roll, saying, well, if your character knows the answer, we'll find out about it. But that's not necessarily the best approach to this. The idea is to challenge the players. We want to keep our players continuously challenged and always trying to approach these situations from new angles. So riddles are kind of of a weird outlier in that because they can be fantastic but you need to know your group for that sort of thing so number five fellowship 
using the game as a social framework. Games that have social interactions as its core. Basically any werewolf variant or Avalon. Avalon. For our group, Avalon was the go-to game for a very long time. The thing about Avalon was we were continually trying new strategies and approaches to it, and you never knew who was on which side. And even when we started to learn each other's tells, even when we started to kind of understand how each person played, we would throw each other curves, and we would keep refining our style and changing things around. With Avalon, we would play a 15-minute game of Avalon, and then we'd spend 15 minutes discussing that 15-minute game of Avalon and where things went wrong, where things fell apart, how we knew that Jeremy was lying or Jacob definitely was telling the truth. We'd get these elements of fellowship here where we really built up our friendships and learned about each other in interesting ways. In role-playing games, it's interesting to have fellowship because oftentimes you're just playing around with each other and doing expression, which is a little bit later. But I think that the Dresden Files and the Fate system have a really interesting way of doing this. In the first session, you start building the world. You start building the story that everyone wants to tell. You start making places that are going to feature prominently in this story. And that right there has everyone collaborating together, talking with one another, figuring out what they want, and socializing and figuring out what is good for the group. Also, one of the elements of that is you have to write yourself into one of the other player's stories and have one of the other player's guest star in one of your stories in your character's background. This gives everyone a chance to collaborate and have that fellowship experience with each other. But all games ultimately have that fellowship, especially RPGs, because you are playing with people. And for some of us, this sort of structured playtime is one of our major social outlets. This is is one of the things that keeps us connected to the people in our lives and gives us a reason to come together as a group and have a shared experience. So that's a big reason that fellowship is one of the kinds of fun. The sixth type of fun is discovery. That's where games are this uncharted territory where players explore the world they find themselves in. Let's see, any escape room board game seems to fall under this category where you're looking around trying to figure out the puzzles there. Arkham Horror, you're exploring the game. You're trying to figure out what's going on at all these different locations. Um, Bat-Hoth? What is... <laughs> Betrayal at the House of the Hill. Bat-Hoth. No, Betrayal at the House on the Hill is a game about discovery, largely, because when you're talking about Betrayal at the House on the Hill, it's very unlikely that you've played out every scenario. So you don't know how things are going to play. You don't know what the next game is going to be or, or whether you're going to be up against the mummy or Dracula or a mad bomber. All of these are possible. You just don't know. Is it going to be something you have experienced before? You haven't. Any game, actually, when you first open it, is a sort of discovery. And that's one of the reasons that people like getting new games and being able to experience new games. And why a lot of us have games that we played only once that we're still glad we got, because you had that experience of discovery, that fun of discovery, opening the game, exploring it, and getting to play it with your friends. On the role-playing side, any sandbox RPG has this discovery element. Kingmaker, very specifically, has this element where the players can travel to anywhere on this large map to try and find out what's there. Try and discover what sort of encounters they can have and move the story forward. 
and what they're surrounded by, what the other kingdoms nearby, their attitudes, things like that. Depending on how in-depth the DM wants to get, sandbox-style games can be gigantic discovery experiences. But honestly, any RPG should be a discovery experience. You don't know what's behind that door. You don't know what the prince of the city is plotting. These are all things that the players set out to discover. And when you create secret elements in your game, you give them the opportunity to have the fun of discovery discovering those elements of your game. And that is a way that everyone can have a lot of fun. The seventh type of fun is expression. It's the game as a form of self-discovery. It's games that allows for expression from the player through the gameplay itself. Let's see. Cards Against Humanity actually is a great way of showing how dark and twisted your friends really are. Cards Against Humanity is a great way of finding an opportunity to express some very dark ideas. And if it's a little too dark for you, there's always Apples to Apples, which is basically family-friendly Cards Against Humanity. Didn't it come before Cards Against Humanity? Yeah, actually, totally. But Cards Against Humanity really caught with people because it had that dark expressiveness to it. Apples to Apples ends up being a fun, argumentative game, but it doesn't really hit on those dark humor tones that are very popular with certain groups. Another very specific game for our group is Wise and Otherwise. Uh, a lot of the people in our extended group of friends are very bookish, and they can often say wonderful quotes from out of nowhere from people that you've never heard of. Now, if you're not familiar with Wise or Otherwise, Wise or Otherwise is about wise sayings from various cultures, which don't always make sense when you just translate them to English with no explanation. So you'll be presented with part of a quote, and then you'll finish out that quote with something absurd. For example, there's an old Japanese saying, a child raised by its grandparents is... Uh, wiser for the generations. Uh, see, there you go. You're trying to... The, the actual answer, I believe, is 200 yen cheaper. Oh, wow. Dark. Holy... <laughs> yeah, well, Japan's a crazy place. But the point is, it's an excellent opportunity to, to kind of get that sort of creative expression out. Another great example of this, though not strictly a tabletop game, is the Jackbox series of games uh, available for various platforms, PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and played with a mobile phone as your sort of controller for it. It gives you a chance to play all these tabletop style games where you do things like finish out quotes or or make drawings, t-shirts together, showing how bad everyone is at drawing on their phone. Yeah, it's, or or being art collectors trying to bid on paintings that you don't know what they actually are. These are all games that give you an opportunity to really express yourself in a way, to create that self-expression and show your creative side. On the RPG side, this is actually where RPGs become kind of a hobby. It's where people can start painting their miniatures, where they can start having character art. Heck, it's where they start using weird voices to characterize their character. It's where they get to play as the character, put them on for a while, and go off into this fantasy world. It gives you that opportunity to express yourself in a creative medium and play as something that you are not. To give you a chance to be something different and 
express ideas you might otherwise not ever have an opportunity to do so. And that expression is a big part of what makes RPGs fun. We have friends who draw characters for themselves, friends who who will compose backstories that are actually excellent works of prose that are very enjoyable to everyone in the group. We have players who will write on their setting, who will talk about their characters' relations and love interests and stuff. And it gives you a chance to create expression, to create these works of art to be shared with and among your peer group or even in the wider online community if that's what you like. Our dear friend Bethy actually sits and draws the NPCs and different characters and moments in the middle of this RPG session. She'll spend five, ten minutes and draw up a wonderful drawing of, let's say, Billy Goat, the King of Spring. Or April, the little fairy girl. Yeah, all of these different characters that she'll just sketch out. And that's a form of expression. And that can be enjoyable not only for the person expressing themselves, but for those who get to experience that expression. We all love it when people characterize their characters and give them personalities that we can experience. We like hearing people's backstories and being able to read the characters that they've created. And we like being able to share those collaborative experiences with people. Expression is a big part of games both on the giving end and on the receiving end where it can turn into a sort of sensation for the other players. That's a big part of what makes games fun. And the eighth and final type of fun is submission. It's games as a pastime. It's basically any game that has a repetitive nature where you can just sit and play kind of mindlessly. Now, for some games, that can be things like playing Scrabble or Yahtzee. I mean, these are, when we think of classic games, we're not necessarily talking about bad games. A lot of these games can be enjoyable experiences. Scrabble is a great game. You get to write up words. Monopoly is absolutely f***ing terrible. But, better example, Yahtzee. Yahtzee is just a silly dice game, but for a lot of people, it's a very enjoyable experience. Even playing poker with friends is a classic way of enjoying that sort of submissive experience. Yeah, poker involves bluffing and gambling, but ultimately you are playing a game where you are trying to match certain colors and shapes and numbers and create a hand. So it is that form of submission that ultimately you are playing a game for the purpose of playing a game that has no purpose other than to be a game to be played. Terraforming Mars is a wonderful board game that has a lot of this submission element to it. A lot of the game, you're just building up an economic engine to try and make Mars a better place. And ultimately, the game toward the end, you're just moving a few cubes from here to here to here to here to here to play out another card. And it's very grindy, but it's a very rewarding experience. There is something viscerally enjoyable about that sort of work experience. It's not for everybody, and certainly not every expression of this is for everybody. But submission in these classic type games and in some newer games is a great way of enjoying yourself in games. Now, when we talk about this in RPGs, one obvious way is through random encounters, where you're just fighting monsters for the sake of fighting monsters. There's no greater story involved. You're just out in the desert and suddenly a blue dragon appears and you battle the blue dragon or something like that. But a lot of the submission actually comes from setting up and making your character. 
optimizing your character between sessions. Oh, I've leveled up. What new spells do I get to do? So you pour over this book, looking up the different spells, trying to figure out how you want your character to go. And a lot of times it's just flipping back and forth, double-checking page numbers, writing down a simple description. For a lot of people, I hear that character creation is one of the most fun parts of RPGs. Several of my players make characters they know they're never going to get an opportunity to play because they simply can't play in that many games. But they love making characters, and this is an opportunity for them to not only express themselves through the nature of the character, but to submit themselves to the rules of the game and create a character within those constraints. To constrain themselves to a set of rules that they can experience as just rules, put numbers to paper, and to create a character that can carry weight in a game. And in a sense, that's a form of submission to the game. That's playing the game for playing the game's sake. So, those are the eight types of fun. Now, the interesting thing is that great games don't need all of these types of fun. Great games can have just one, sometimes they can have two, sometimes they can have every single one of them. Kingdom Death Monster is a wonderful game that has almost all of these elements. I would actually say all of these elements. Super Dungeon Explore has a lot of these elements. Small World, even though we don't necessarily think of it in that sense, has a lot of these elements. It has that sensation with the art. It has that fantasy with the uh, notion of this fantastical world. It doesn't so much have a narrative element. It does have a little bit of a challenge element. And like all games, it has that fellowship element. But ultimately, different games approach these different ways of having fun in different ways and to different degrees. Now, here's an interesting thought experiment for you. Sometimes you might like games for reasons that other people do not. The best example of this I can think of is what about digitized games? What about electronic versions of Catan or Ticket to Ride? I, for one, really enjoy playing Ticket to Ride electronically on my phone. I have the Ticket to Ride app, and I play it sometimes, uh, sometimes against strangers, sometimes with my wife. Ultimately, it is a different experience, though. It's a completely different game experience when you don't have a board in front of you, when you're not moving pieces around, when you can't read your opponent visually and watch what they do, see if they're looking at certain parts of the board. You get a different experience. For some people, that's terrible. They hate the digital version of this game. Other people prefer the digital version of the game and don't like playing the game face-to-face -face because different people experience games in different ways. So, that about wraps it up. Hopefully everyone can think about the different ways that they have fun when they go to their next game night, and hopefully it will help you enjoy and understand why you enjoy these games more. It can give you an appreciation for what it is about games that makes them enjoyable and fun, and in so doing, help you identify what makes games better for you and your group, which ultimately will be a rewarding experience for everyone involved. So, what do we have up for next time? So, let's see, in my notes it says, Getting Serious About Casual Games. Hmm, I like this one. I actually think we're going to have a timer, so that way we can only talk about a game for about as long as it takes to play them. Let's say, four minutes each? Uh, thereabouts, yeah, that'll work. Alright. This has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you for listening. Roald Dahl once said, Life is more fun if you play games. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy. 
with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.